Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast. Uh, the Rethink Energy team is here, most of them, uh, and we're going to talk about the technology behind this week's energy news. I'm the CEO, Peter White, and we have with us today the editor, Bogdan Avramuta. Hello, everybody. And solar analyst, Andres Fontenot. Hello there. Okay, and that's the whole group today, um, a bit less than usual. Uh, to remind everyone, the discussion is built around stories we published last night on the website and in our, in our weekly uh, news analysis. And if you want to get this, you have to go to our website, uh, rethinkresearch.biz, click on energy, and you'll immediately, a pop-up will ask you if you want a free trial. You say yes. And, um, and if you like it, you buy into it. Um, while you're there, take a look at the uh, forecast and data section. In this week's issue... Uh, we're going to give you a glimpse um, of the detail of our latest EV forecast. As you know, we've um, we've had an EV forecast for quite a few years now, uh, right up to 2050. What's interesting about this is it shows how policy, in particular subsidies, uh, and also uh, how sensitive car prices are, they control the speed at which um, battery electric vehicle markets develop. Uh, we'll also look at how a change in grid, uh, Chinese grid reform suddenly overnight makes energy storage um, a place where you can make profit um, because it's going to be allowed to play in the wholesale energy market. And Bogdan will talk us through a new plan in Indonesia to make hydrogen, um, strangely, using energy from nuclear power plants. I didn't know Indonesia had any nuclear power plants and asked if this can, in fact, be profitable. Finally, I'm going to take us through one or two short items we've published in this week's issue. But first, because Connor's not here today, I'm going to um, go through his uh, EV forecast. The, the key to this forecast and the minor changes we've made over the next couple of years really stem from policy decisions. And what we've got here really is China, on the one hand, coming out of its COVID-19 containment measures, uh, but on the other hand, it killed its um, new energy vehicle subsidy. And overnight, that had the effect of um, dropping the price of lithium by 30% because suddenly there was um, plenty of uh, lithium in the market um, and virtually halving the uh, car sales month to month from December to um, January. And the other side of the world, on the Inflation Reduction Act, that's taking time getting up to speed. There's only a handful, is it 10 vehicles, which currently qualify for Inflation Reduction Act subsidies, um, and more vehicles will come online slowly. So this, is, this has actually slowed the speed of, um, of adoption of electric vehicles in America, although although it has still increased from 5.8% of total vehicle sales to 7.8% is on track to do in 2023, so from one year to the next. So, um, yeah, that's, that's working out mostly to the benefit of Tesla, surprisingly. But none of this really changes the overall trajectory. Um, the, the, it's interesting. China in 2020 killed subsidies um, on electric vehicles, and exactly the same thing happened. People stopped buying them. Uh, three months later, they reintroduced them, uh, and that's happening again now. Um, and they reaccelerated the market. 
Uh, everyone announced the death of the electric vehicle, but it didn't happen because the policy was reversed. Same same things happening again now. Um, but even so, China um, still sold 5.9 million passenger vehicles in 2022, up from 3.2 million in 2021. And the we expect, it, despite the fact that they've um, uh, killed the uh, subsidies temporarily, this will still, 2023 will still be a bigger bigger year. Um, if you need access to that report, um, you subscribe to the newsletter. It's all contained in the newsletter. Um, and the um, if you're a full subscriber, you can uh, look at the newsletter and, uh, and the uh, forecast and data where our um, previous version of that report lives. Any questions on that, guys? Well, I was looking at the um, China graph. Yeah. Um, that Connor made. And I can see that um, so China is going to become um, zero emission vehicles by 2040, according to this report. And that's that's a bit unlike their um, usual behavior because they usually have 2016 at zero targets. Why is that? Uh, it's just the, um, the, the chance to steal the whole car industry. I mean, that's, you know, that's what they're doing here. They're saying, Look, if we were to steal the car industry just by making better uh, internal combustion engine cars, it's going to take us forever. And anyway, Europe's not going to buy them after 2035. America probably isn't going to buy any after 2038. What's the point in being in the ice market? Let's push all of our uh, suppliers to go into into, uh, new electric uh, vehicles. And, And they have responded. And they've responded, you know, to policy. You know, if you're going to make them sub- subsidize them, you're. Uh, what I'm really interested in here, though, is um, the way they've changed their business model. You know, the Wuling Hongguang Mini uh, is now available in China. It's only got a range of about 100, 120 miles, um, but it's available for two thousand dollars plus battery leasing, so a monthly payment over the the, the the time of the battery. I mean, no no in America, the cheapest electric vehicle is about $44,000. I mean, this is a huge uh, uh, rift that they've, and they've created a, a new type of car, you know, the shopping runabout, which only recharges and, uh, and gets you 100 plus miles of range. So you, you still have to charge it once a week, uh, even if you just pop into the shops and back. But they are selling them. They're, it's now the most popular um, uh, electric vehicle in, on the Chinese market. Uh, it's very price-sensitive, China, and they're just taking the prices to the floor. Within a few years, um, certainly with companies like Neo and Xpeng exporting cars initially to Europe, then to America, the price differential is going to be so large that the Inflation Reduction Act subsidies won't matter. In other words, if you buy an American car and get the full $7,500 subsidy and you get an extra subsidy from your state, you'll still be paying $30,000 for a car. You can, you'll be able to buy a Chinese car for under twenty, and you won't be able to tell the difference between the two cars. That's that's what's happening here. Um, and um, and that, that's going to help China steal a big chunk of the global car market. 
and that's that's why they do everything, and that's how they do everything. And of course, um, it's a lot less painful to get rid of a twenty-year-old car than than a twenty-year-old coal plant. Uh, that's, that is true. That is true. Uh, the, the problem China has on the coal plant fronts is is it's growing its economy so fast that it it can't make enough. I mean, it's, it's got massive investment in renewables, but it just can't make enough of one one flavour of energy. It has to get you know accelerate on all fronts. Yeah. Um, eventually, its economy will cool a bit. Uh, it, you know, it will a lot, but um, they're not prepared to let it cool now um, they, they, until they can overtake the American economy. Uh, moving on, um, Andrews, again, it is a get still on China, um, but um, you, you've got uh, you, there's been some grid reform. Tell us how that works. Yes, it's one of these articles where I sense a, a sneaky little opportunity to write about something where I think we might be the only people on the English language internet to write about it. And so I can feel very good about it. So, you know, because it's not something that people find elsewhere and then it just feels redundant. Yeah, this is um, this is possibly the biggest grid reform since 2015 in the country. And it's about energy storage. Uh, now, it's a what, what's actually happened? Uh, I'm trying to it's it's uh it's issued a it's issued a document probably a draft document one of those things that asks for opinions and so on and then the actual policies end up getting implemented at the provincial level anyway so i can't give you hard numbers as to what exactly it does but the purpose is to um set up a business model for energy storage and in particular it allows independent energy battery energy storage plants to exist on the grid and have a power uh, a price of electricity set f for their power type, uh, and so you, know, you can properly remunerate. Uh, you know, probably a process over the next five years, there'll be proper remuneration for these. Um, for, for this, uh, what's the word? Dispatchable battery storage, which should be considered more valuable in a way because it's dispatchable, because it's smoothing out power that might otherwise be curtailed, and so on. Now, up until now. Uh, the previous thing in the past couple of years has been uh, a rather a very brute force measure, I now realize, of saying to wind and solar plants, in this province, you have to have, when you're building a wind or a solar plant, you have to have 10%, maybe 20%, usually two hours duration of that net capacity has to be, uh, you have to have battery storage with it. So if you develop one gigawatt of solar, you also have to have two megawatts, uh, 200 megawatts of uh, batteries with two duration. You just have to build it. But um, I'm not sure if they even get rewarded like, properly for using it. Um, so it, it's just not very viable. It just it makes the project more um, expensive to build, but you don't get any special reward for putting your solar into the battery and then discharging it again. Yeah, you yeah. get, and in fact, considering there's some inefficiency of putting power into and out of a battery, you probably get paid less, actually. And these, so these, these battery uh, components have not been... In some cases, they're like minimally commissioned and then neglected, or they just try and drag their feet as long as possible to build the battery element, and it's all just not very good. Uh, what will happen now is you'll still have that requirement. Uh, Shanghai seems to have said that they won't have such a requirement, but 
I'm not sure whether to take that seriously because there's probably no room in Shanghai for wind or solar anyway. So I'm not really sure why they even. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I think uh, you're right. Shanghai, I mean, uh, will have batteries outside of Shanghai feeding it energy, um, and they just build more transmission into Shanghai. That's that's the uh, process they've adopted. But this is very similar to the FERC. Uh, um, uh, rule change three or four years ago. I mean, it's worth reminding everybody, China did not have, uh, it had a single price for electricity uh, for each region um, up until about 2019. Um, And since then, we've had three prices. um, And these are all artificially manipulated. Um, And now, and that allows you to do... um, energy arbitrage from one price period to the next using batteries so there was some reward but but now um uh, but FERC had to tell all the american uh, isos you will allow battery to, to count in your wholesale market and you will not put up hurdles um, for it and this is china copying that move three or four years later and implementing i mean getting a a, a market a marketplace for energy that's closer and closer to the sophistication of the American uh, um, f- full business uh, market. Um, I, I think it's, it's great. It will just lead to a massive acceleration in the use of, sto- of storage. What about what about in your home? Are you allowed to use it in your home? Do you get any benefit for that? Oh, I'm not sure. But uh, a lot of the distributed boom lately is just um, on public buildings anyway, or it might not even be owned by the homeowners. It might be built onto an apartment block by a developer as part of a 100 megawatt portfolio in the city. Um, So I, I, uh, and besides, you know, homeowners, that's kind of, you know, the, the sort of people that might do that do exist in Chinese provinces, but only in about, you know, six of them on the coast, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, what we're likely to see is this become an increasingly commonly talked about area. Um, it will get the approval. Um, people will eventually put it into the next five-year plan, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, although we're sort of halfway through a five-year plan now. So it, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's a bit paradoxical with Vietnam and China. They have the five-year plan with the big communist federal authority. But then they keep changing it every year anyway. And then in China's case, it's all down to provinces to implement it. So it's a little bit baffling <laughs> um, as to what, what announcement is the one that really matters. But, you know, really, really, it's a constant uh, stream of news. And a, and a big topic is always in, in the energy news in China now is uh, peak and valley shifting, you know, peak demand uh, and uh, the value of, of low net demand from solar and the duck cut. Um, yeah, I mean the massive amounts of solar they're putting into their um, their grid, and I, I know they still have a lot of coal. Um, but the massive amounts of solar would would mean that it would become dysfunctional um, over time if you didn't put battery in. Uh, and and so they're seeing the, the wisdom of of that uh, again three or four years after the American market, which I think is incredible because they, they they should be miles behind the American market and they're not. I mean, they had the. They, I think it was this week that they commissioned their first uh, independent battery project, uh, independently operating on the grid. Right. So right. six years uh, uh, behind Australia with its um, Hornsdale. Uh, uh, how long will it take until so till they have the largest battery installation in the world? 
two years, <laughs> maybe three. I mean, we know that we know that uh, Moss Landing, if they continue to develop it through all four phases, will be six gigawatt hours uh, of battery um, at some point, and it's halfway there. So um, it'd be interesting to see how long it takes China because of its scale and its project ambition to have an installation that's bigger than that. Uh, uh, two to three years is my guess. All right, let's move on. Um, Bogdan, you've written something about pink ammonia uh, and, and um, uh, in Indonesia. And I, I didn't even think they had nuclear power in Indonesia. So, you know, they're mostly a coal market. So what's going on here? No, you're right. There's no co there's no um, nuclear power in Indonesia. That's correct. So that is exactly where they wanna they wanna build the nuclear as well, which is why the the story is interesting because first I heard of it was um, essentially a pink ammonia project, so a nuclear plant um, running an electrolyzer, making pink hydrogen, and then transforming that into pink ammonia to. Um, um, replace the grey ammonia used in in Indonesia for uh, fertilizers today, and um, we've been talking about new nuclear and old nuclear quite a bit lately, um, mostly because of the cost of new nuclear. So, in um, this uh, project, we have Copenhagen Atomics coming up with uh, SMR small modular reactors, um, and it's twenty five of them that they want to build. Um, amount wow. to one gigawatt, one gigawatt of um, capacity. Okay. They're still early in. Um, they're still early in their um, testing days. So yeah, they have a Series B and Series C funding rounds uh, coming next year. Um, they want to um, make a full demo of the technology in 2025. So they're still early on in the development of the technology. But what caught my eye was that on the on their website they quote um, twenty dollars per megawatt hour. Um, as the cost of of electricity, which is incredibly low considering the considered that new scale, the U.S. Um, SMR developer, which is considered to be one of the uh, leading uh, companies in the market, um, is struggling to to get it around ninety. Is getting is getting their technology around ninety dollars per megawatt hour with um, Department of Energy and IRA subsidies. That's twenty megawatt. Twenty dollars per megawatt changes the whole world. If that's true, everyone's going to yeah. be on jumping on the bandwagon. Um, we, we typically expect. Uh, it, previously, people have um, been shooting for seventy-five to start with, fifty-five eventually uh, dollars per megawatt hour in SMRs um, once they're made at scale. A new scale, as you said, is the first one to be released. Was talking about um, uh, fifty-eight megawatt hours, and it, and it doubled. Um, so yep. once they actually built one, so even if this doubles for forty, it's still the same price as wind, and you can put it anywhere, and it runs all day and all night. So if, if this is true, we have to talk to Copenhagen Atomics. In fact, anybody listening to the podcast, um, put in an inquiry to Copenhagen Atomics because if you can buy. Uh, an atomic uh, reactor that will give you energy at twenty dollars per megawatt hour. Wow, you're in. You're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm waiting myself to. Um, I got in. I well, I reached out to Copenhagen Atomics. I'm waiting for them to come back to me. Hopefully, we'll be able to sit down and um, talk about this because it is um, interesting. Well, yeah, and there must be a design, um, a ra radical design change. 
Um, it doesn't seem seem to be, but it, 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 it must be. Could I make a rather crude uh, theory, which is that didn't the cost of nuclear sort of double after Fukushima? And wasn't that because of new regulations about how you have to build them with new safety features? Not, not really. The safety features were already there, but then people did a quick test of whether or not the safety features were being adhered to and found out that in nearly all cases they were not. And therefore they'd been skimping on the costs of make, of ensuring that, that your nuclear power plant didn't suddenly um, uh, you know, put radiation into the nearby water supply. You know, so, so suddenly everybody looked at, at their at their habits. Um, the, the, the regulations did not change. They, they were always in place. I wonder if the Indonesians are just being less strict about that. <clears throat> it is a possibility. I mean, it's... Uh, it's it's a, 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 a it's a pre-industrial society to a certain extent. It's um, it's going to be its regulations are not going to be as rigid on its law books. But I, th- I think the, um, the the thing about nuclear is it affects your neighbours as well. So um, it's usually a, a kind of global um, safety standard that's applied um, to everywhere outside of Russia. Um, and, and Russia, it's difficult to know. But um, yeah, I mean, even even China uses the same kind of safety standards. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd be shocked if that's um, true. But at twenty dollars per megawatt, mind you, if it's true and it turns out to be forty-five, it's still a revolution. Um, so we have to know this. We have to know this for sure because you know you can have revolutions in these technologies, and um, it could be something which. Um, uh, which is a, is a real thing. So I brought um, up a map of Indonesian earthquakes, and it seems like Borneo doesn't have them. So I hope they build it on Borneo, but I'm sure they're not. Yeah, it is. It is a, in fact it's actually going in to be built in Borneo. Yeah. Oh, if, well, it, if it goes through, yeah, it will be in Borneo. Borneo is not an industrial center, is it? Are they actually building it there because of the earthquake risk? <laughs> Maybe. They might do. They might do. Well, they'll have to knock down a load of forests to build it. Uh, oh, maybe that's why they want the cheap land, and it's less populated. Maybe it's, it is cheap. Hmm. It is cheap, but knocking down all that forest and and putting infrastructure and roads and connections to it are not cheap. Okay, so those are our three stories that ran on our website um, today. There's a, uh, a two or three times that number of stories in the issue. Um, there's a lot more detail. There's some short items. When we, we, we go through the short items, I was interested. Um, this must have been from um, from you, uh, Bob Dan. Uh, Bloomer Energy have been out of the news for quite a while, um, but it's it's just um, got a, a major order um, for a um, for solid oxide electrolyzers on something I can't pronounce in Canada. Nugioquonic. Um. Yes, I mean, I can't pronounce that name either. That looks like an, in, an Indian name. It looks like it's uh, it's going to be on Indian land. But... Yeah, native yeah. Indian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess we're seeing, it's interesting that we're seeing solid oxide electrolyzers um, pop up in the news a lot. Um, as far as our research, we know that they only represent about um, 20%, maybe a bit less, in terms of gigafactories that have been announced. 
So um, the the plants are not really there to build as much um, um, SOECs to 2030. Obviously, more gigafactories will probably be announced until then and built. Uh, but as things stand, PEM and Alkaline are really dominating the market. And uh, it's interesting that we see a lot of um, SOECs uh, being, uh, being ordered around. Yeah, no, I'm just interested from the Bloom Energy point of view. It was all in the news a lot um, a year year and a half ago and then the clean energy stocks were generally disapproved of on, on the American stock market and the price is, was, it's down to about a third of what it was at its peak um, you know and it just seems if you get real orders that's going to change you know so I think perhaps the, the, the new energy stocks are going to start to make a, a rise again that was one in particular um, but um, you know, I, I just I was interested in that. I was also interested. Um, Andrew, you might um, uh, know something about this. NL North America has, has just picked picked the um, site for its um, um, factory to make um, solar cells in America, in Oklahoma. Um, this is a mirror site to to its three sun factory in Sicily, in Italy. Uh, and both of them are going to head to three gigawatts of output. That's in Sicily and separately in America by 2025, uh, um, building two-sided heterojunction uh, with an efficiency of 24.6, and then going on to make a tandem system, uh, presumably with Perovskite, with over 30% efficiency. I mean, this this is suddenly it takes on a different light with um, with the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, a company like NL um, would be getting a huge boost to build this financially. Hmm. Well, my commentary on the sort of efficiency ratings is that uh, that would be the best product in the world if it was um, online today. Uh, by the time it comes online in 2025, it will be among the best. Um, so this is, right. you know, Heterojunction is the best mainstream product before perovskite becomes commercialized. And then uh, what are they doing with it? Two-sided, you know, they're two-sided 24.6. So it's, it's the top of the range stuff. And then Tandem. Well, again, they're not the only people talking about Tandem. Uh, really, in the past week, we've seen... I mean, last week, I wrote about First Solar looking into Tandem, perovskites. Now we've got NL. I mean, I don't know if that's a fresh announcement about the Tandem. It probably isn't. Uh, no, um, no, they've, they, they, they've talked about 30% plus with Tandem um, about six months ago. But yeah. really int- interesting is NL... Are going into manufacturing. Oh, I mean, yes, they, I hadn't they, thought about that. <laughs> they had a hundred, uh, is it hundred or two hundred megawatt plant in uh, at Three Sun in Sicily, and they and, and get, taking it from that level up to the three gigawatt, and then they're saying on on to six gigawatts uh, in each. So suddenly, with it by about twenty twenty six seven, they're going to be a twelve gigawatt uh, manufacturer. That, that must be about what NL uses all over the world and installs. So they, they'll only have one customer themselves. Yeah, and um, there's probably several companies like that. I mean, some of it is being done, uh, some of this American manufacturing buildup is uh, the existing companies, but you know, there are a few entrants like that. Um, oh, Q-Cells this week announced uh, yes, a, a, yes, a $100 million investment into perovskites. You know, why? Inflation Reduction Act. You know, it, it's quite interesting. There, there's two new SPACs this week, uh, Tigo Energy, uh, by special acquisition companies, Tigo Energy 
and Sun Tuity Renewables. Why? Inflation Reduction Act. They both quoted it in their in their uh, press announcements. So uh, it's, uh, the news is is full of people getting ready for the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, it will it will make a change. Okay, we'll we'll wind it up for this week. Um, slightly shorter um, show than usual. Um, less people on it. Uh, if you want to be part of this, go to rethinkresearch.biz, click on energy. Um, you, you'll start in w- weekly analysis, which are the stories we've been showing. You, know, you can see the first six um, lines of every story. If you want to see more, sign up for a trial. Click on forecast and data, podcasts, webinars, if you want to see any of the work that we do. Um, and that will be the end of this week's podcast. We'll see you again next week with a full squad. All right, bye.